Good morning. It is a blessing to be here. We have been looking forward to this time. <clears throat> Out of all the missionaries you could have chosen and invited, I don't know why you invited me, but uh, we do trust that the Lord led you in bringing us here, and uh, it is exciting for us. It's an honor. Uh, it's a shame that Pastor Diedrich can't be here today. Uh, you know, it's kind of his party, and uh, for him to be back in bed, you know, it's a shame, but uh, we hope he'll be feeling well the rest of the week. Um, <clears throat> I was kind of connecting ties, and I really don't remember, Brother David, if we have met much over the years, but we've been pretty close in and out. I think you mentioned in March of 2002, it's when the church took you on as, as, as their missionary. Uh, we were married here in the old building in May of 2002, and then a few months later, y'all took us on as your missionaries, and y'all became our sending church, and so it's kind of the same, same dates right there, and um, I still remember Brother Joe Schrock and Brother John Schrock, I was... Uh, Still, I'm still pretty timid, you know, but I was kind of the timid, shy Mexican missionary boy uh, standing in the back, still trying to get to know the Diedrich family. Of course, all of them big, tall, and uh, dating or interested in their only daughter and um, the only sister. And I was standing in the back of the church all nervous and didn't know who to talk to, didn't know anybody. And uh, it was uh, uh, both the, the Schrock men that walked up to me and the first two men that I remember talking to here at Wayland, and uh, they have been friends ever since. And uh, we appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, we appreciate your faithfulness to missions. Uh, you know, uh, 1910, right, if I'm not wrong, with the dates of the church, when uh, this church was started. And uh, one way or another, through whether it be the convention and then years later, uh, supporting missionaries in a different way, but supporting missions all these years. You can only imagine how much fruit you have in eternity over the many, many, many years and many missionaries that you all have supported. And I know in our case, uh, 21 years of backing us. <clears throat> in our case, it's a little bit different. We don't have a mission board. And so y'all guys uh, double not only as our sending church, but as, in a very true biblical way, our sending agency, and y'all cover all of those responsibilities for us. Uh, we are very, very deeply grateful for uh, Mrs. Diedrich, and then Jennifer also over the years have helped with all of that. And uh, we just thank y'all for standing behind us in so many different ways. We appreciate faithfulness in a day and age when so many churches are changing, so many churches are dropping uh, their standards, are dropping their value when it comes to missions. Um, Churches that we feel like we can no longer identify in certain ways, it is such a blessing to know that our home base is solid and that we can say whether anything else changes and everybody else drops off, we know that we have a home that we can count on and that means so much to us and so thank you for it. Uh, Naomi and the girls weren't supposed to be here this week, uh, but uh, when we got the phone call this was going to happen, uh, thank you Naomi, um, we... <clears throat> Ended up, uh, forgive my throat, guys, I had strep throat about a week and a half ago, and uh, that kind of hit me pretty hard, and then with the change in the weather and the airports and so forth, it always kinds of affects, so uh, hopefully we can have a clear throat this morning. Uh, but anyway, uh, Naomi was planning on being here anyway, bringing uh, Tirsa to college, she's been going to Master Baptist College, and so we have eight children, uh, two of the girls are here with us, and so we got uh, Caleb down in Pensacola, and then we have the other five back home, there's two uh, of the young ladies in the church that are staying at home with them. Um, but the dates really worked out perfect. And I said, well, Naomi's going to be there anyway. And so uh, it was a perfect thing to be able to be here, and we're grateful that we can spend this time with Tirsa before uh, she says goodbye and steps away. So on Wednesday night, I'll be saying goodbye, so that'll be a tearful night, I'm sure. Uh, first girl to leave the nest, you know. But anyway, uh, we praise the Lord for what he's done. I uh, want to give you greetings from our churches. Uh, this morning, Brother Lyndon preached in our English service at 8.30, so that's already gone and passed. As we speak right now, Brother Zion is preaching in the Spanish service. And then tonight, Brother Luke Wilson will be preaching in the uh, mission uh, across the island. And so 
Three churches are still doing well. Uh, we are busy, busier than ever. We just had camp a few weeks ago. We had two, uh, two BBSs back to back. And uh, then, of course, uh, the radio ministry is continuing on the 10 hours a week, and so uh, that's been exciting. We had two calls this last week of people on the island saying, hey, I want to go to church. <clears throat> Can I come? What's the address? What's the schedule? And that's becoming more and more a weekly occurrence, you know, two to three contacts every single week uh, on top of people listening across the world and other Latin countries. And so God has really opened up some doors. It's been exciting to watch. And uh, we, uh, I'll say this in different ways, and, uh, you know, I'm serious about it. We invite you to come and see. Uh, you know, and I hope that that is something that you will genuinely consider with all your missionaries, but specifically the missionaries that are sent out of your church. Uh, you will never pray for a missionary the same after you visited the field. You will never read a prayer letter the same after you visited the field. You will never see other people of other nationalities the same after you've left your little nest and you've gone to see people of other countries and other cultures. Um, you'll never be as grateful for what you have until you leave and you go and see other countries and places and you come back and you're like, wow, you know, I thought I had it rough, but I don't have it as bad. Uh, you know, there's many reasons to go to the mission field, and we would encourage you, come visit, come down for a week, come down for a month, come down for three months. Uh, you know, we'll make it happen as long as you can make it happen on your end, but I am dead serious about it. You know, use your time, use your vacation, use the opportunity. It will bring missions to a different level on your life. If you've never done it, I encourage you to do so. And we'd love to have you, and of course, being in Aruba, everybody, you know, they talked about going to Mexico for some reason, it just didn't happen happen too much, uh, but you know, especially towards the end, but in Aruba, everybody's like, oh yeah, I think I could make that missions trip, and so we do have a lot of palm trees, uh, although it is a desert island, and uh, you know, it's pretty dry, uh, but <clears throat> uh, the Lord has is, is put us in a unique place, you know, 110 nationalities, over 40 languages, um, you know, we are uh, at a place where there are so many, so many different mixes, and we praise the Lord for the opportunity to be able to be there. Uh, please continue to pray for us. I'll be heading back on Wednesday night, and uh, we have a group of Americans coming in from uh, Lighthouse Baptist Church from uh, uh, Tonawanda, uh, New York, by Buffalo. Uh, they'll be coming in on Saturday, and so we had a group come in a few months ago, <clears throat> but I had my wife and my two daughters as cooks and drivers and helpers. Well, now it's going to be me with five kids uh, being cook and driver and preacher and translator and everything else. And so we got 23 people coming in on Saturday. I uh, got to get back and get everything ready for them. And uh, we got a lot of church ladies that are jumping on in the kitchen helping out. But anyway, having said all that, <clears throat> congratulations to pastor, although he's not here on 35 years of ministry. Congratulations to y'all for having a pastor that will be in the same place for 35 years. It's not all that common nowadays. And uh, praise the Lord for the way he is leading y'all as a church. And we uh, pray for you quite often. I can guarantee you that. And it is an honor to be able to be with you this week. We're excited about it. And our only, <clears throat> our only desire in prayer is, uh, I would say, twofold. One is to honor God. Uh, and secondly is to thank you. And if I can add a third to that, would uh, definitely be to try to be uh, edifying. You know, we want to be a blessing. We want to be an encouragement. We want to <clears throat> encourage you to raise your eyes, and to lift beyond your horizon, to look beyond the people that surround you, uh, and sometimes even just to look beyond our home, to look beyond our comfort zone. Uh, sometimes we get so stuck in our own circle that we forget so many people that are around us and so many people that are out there. We're in a world today that's got 8 billion people, 223 countries and nations, 196 registered in the United Nations. Uh, you know, so many people groups, so many languages that still have not been reached. The Bible is still to be translated in over 3,000 languages and dialects. So many people in places and mountain ranges that still have not been reached. And I don't want to come this week and lay a burden upon your heart because of statistics and numbers and so forth, but I think that there's a reality there. You know, when you go to the book of Acts and you go through the book of Acts, you're going to see that multiple times it says when they heard what was happening, 
when they were told what was happening and when they found out what was going on, they went. They moved. They sent a committee or they sent a trip or they, uh, they made a trip or they sent a Paul and a Barnabas or they, they did something about it, but because they were informed. So there is a very real place for information and for knowing what is going on around us. And uh, we would hope this week to be an encouragement to you in that way. I want to ask you to go with me to Ezekiel chapter 22. I know our time is limited. Uh, I've always said this when I'm in the States. That's one of the things I love about being a missionary. If I ever came to work in the States, I don't know what I would do. I'd have to preach half messages all the time because I am used to preaching until I'm done in Mexico. And really just people, if they got to leave, they leave. But we just kind of stick around. I don't know what it's like in Belarus, brother. Uh, but, you know, clocks don't mean much to us in the Latin world. And so we just keep on going. But I know where I'm at. I know we got a clock. We want to keep to it. But we want to try to be a blessing to you today. And uh, I want to read a passage here in Ezekiel chapter 22. I've really struggled over this first message. Tomorrow night I'll be preaching about uh, Rome, and I won't say anything more about that, but I'm very clear in my mind and heart what God wants me to speak tomorrow night. Uh, today, for the uh, first message on, on my behalf, you know, I was really uh, praying a lot, and I want to try to give you a message uh, entitled uh, A True Philosophy of Life, or, uh, you know, uh, my philosophy of life, because just because it's mine doesn't have to mean that it's yours, you know, but, uh, but I want to try to point to you two very simple things, very easy, very simple. I hope today every single person will walk out, and I will have repeated it so much, and it will be so simple and so basic that you will say there is no doubt about what was preached today, and I hope you will understand it, and you will catch a little bit of the burden today. But Ezekiel chapter 22, let's start in verse 22, or 23, and it says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed nor rained upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion, ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbath, and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain, and her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, see in vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them, and I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord. God, Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this day. I thank you for the privilege and the honor, Lord, it is to be behind this pulpit today before this congregation, Lord. We love this church. Uh, we are so grateful for what they have meant to us over the years. We're so grateful for their passion and their zeal for souls. We're grateful, Lord, that not only do they support missionaries, they have raised families and they have sent out their own, their young, uh, their couples to the mission field. And Lord, there are many that have been sent from this place. And Father, many, as, as, as we can say, can say that Wayland loves missions. And Father, we thank you for that. And we ask you today to please uh, work in our hearts, burden us just a little bit more, direct us just a little bit more, help us to be faithful to missions, but help us to raise our vision just a little bit more and to think, what else can I do? Father, we ask you to please direct uh, this time. Lord, I need you. I need you to please direct my tongue, my thoughts. Lord, I, I submit myself before you. I hide behind this pulpit. And Lord, do whatever you have to do with me, but may your word and may your spirit accomplish your purpose in each heart and life. Uh, Lord, help us to have clarity of, of thought. Help the spirit to be able to apply truth to our hearts. And Lord, may we leave today challenged and just a little bit different. Father, we thank you for loving us. And we just leave this time in your hands in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
as we get into the passage here, and really I'm going to do it, I'm, you're going to feel almost like I'm switching it up on you halfway through here in a little bit, and I'll explain myself in a second. Um, because I really got an outline. I wanted to preach, and I was going to preach it based off a whole other reference back in Philippians chapter 2, verse 21. Uh, but <clears throat> the Lord kept on bringing me back to Ezekiel chapter 22. You know, just a tiny bit of context. You know, the Lord tells Ezekiel, and if you're familiar with the book, passages like this happen a lot. Ezekiel is the one that talks about being a watchtower also uh, in chapter 33 and several other passages. But, you know, the Lord tells him, verse 1 and 0, and he says, show Israel her sin. You know, show her sin. He talks about murder, murder, sorry, idolatry, disobedience to parents, oppression and exhortation, uh, exhortation sorry, uh, profanation of the Sabbath and other holy things, uncleanness of all manner, uh, and then unmindfulness of God. At the very end, he says, thou hast forgotten me, else thou wouldst not have done thus. So the idea is everything you've done is because you've forgotten me, God says. And so this is their sin. And then he tells them judgment is coming. And he uses phrases like this. He says, I have smitten my hand at the dishonest gain, God speaking to to Israel, uh, to those in Jerusalem. He says, I will scatter thee. He says, I will consume thy filthiness. And talking about their filthiness, he says, they are the dross of the silver. Basically, they're the, they're the trash. They're the dirty stuff that comes out when you're melting the silver. Uh, and then he says this phrase, he says, I will gather you, I will put you in the fire, and I will melt you. You know, the judgment that is coming is going to be intense. He uh, references there with the first verse we read in, uh, today that their land was not cleansed, and nor was it rained upon, which was always a symbol as far as the lack of rain, as far as the blessing of God and judgment upon the land. And so Ezekiel is to tell the people, you have sinned. Ezekiel is to tell the people there is judgment that is coming. Uh, he says who has sinned. He says the prophets have sinned, the priests have sinned, the princes have sinned, the people have sinned. And then he comes to verse 30, which is quite a famous verse without the book or within the book of Ezekiel. And God says, I sought for a man, among whom? Well, among the prophets, the priests, the princes, and the people that have all sinned, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Now, there's all kinds of different ways we can take this passage, but I want to focus on just a very simple phrase where we see, uh, I sought for a man, but here's the kind of man he was looking for, a man that could stand before me for the land. We had a group of Americans come in a couple months ago, and they asked me, could you give the young people a life philosophy? Could you kind of give them some idea of what makes you do what you do? Why are you here? Why are you a missionary? And there was 26 uh, people, 24 of them were young people. And uh, they said, you know, can you, can you give them an idea of, of, of what makes you tick? And I got to thinking about that, and uh, I got to thinking about passages as this and a couple other things that maybe I, I think I thought, but I never really put it on paper. I never really thought about it this way. And when I was all done, it kind of came to a very simple solution. I remember in college, I don't remember if it was Brother Spencer or one of the teachers, you know, made us uh, write a uh, philosophy of ministry and a philosophy of life and so forth. And it had to be two pages or three pages long and stuff like that. And I said, well, if I had to write this in two or three pages, I guess I could. But honestly, it's really pretty simple. When it boils down to it, I think there's really only two things that matter. And that's number one, God. And number two is people. And we see it in this passage. We see God seeking for a man among Israel who could stand before him. A man who was righteous, a man who was able, if I can put that, and I know as sinners, none of us are able. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can stand before God. But through Jesus Christ, we can freely stand before God. And we can openly stand before God. And we can 
honestly and completely and genuinely stand before God because of Jesus Christ. That's the wonder of salvation. But we can stand before Christ. Well, in this case, he saw it for a man who could and he couldn't find anybody. No one that could stand before him. But then secondly, it's not just to stand before God, but it would stand for the land. And I think there's much to be said about that. God and people. When my life's all said and over, and the more, I don't know how long the Lord's going to give me, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to have, but the longer I do live and the more I serve, there are certain areas in my life that the Lord is making clearer and clearer. I was asked a little while ago, well, Pastor, how long do you think you're going to be here in Aruba? And I said, well, I don't know because I really yearn to start another church in another place, in another island or another country. I'm, I'm not really sure. But said, so you plan on keep on ministering? I said, of course I do. And they said, are you one of those guys that's going to preach until you're old and you, you don't make much more sense and you, know, you can't see straight and all that? I said, well, I don't know. I, you know uh, with health issues, sometimes I think I'm not going to get to that age. I don't know. But regardless, I, I do want to serve until God very clearly says enough's enough and stop. And even then, I think he'll have me serve maybe in a different way. I don't know. But I'd like to think that, yes, I will serve until the end. Yes, I'd like to think that I will preach until I can no longer preach. I want to continue going to other lands, to other places, to other people, and preaching the gospel where God would have me. And if he'll leave me in a room the rest of my life, or he'll take me to other places, so be it, whatever he wants. But yes, I want to serve. And he said, well, so, you know, why? You're not getting rich. Why? Uh, fame's never going to happen here in this little island. Why? Why are you doing it? I said, well, it's, it really boils down to a very simple answer. It's because of God. It's because of people. And you know, when you come to missions, that's really what it's all about, folks. It's about God, and it's about people. And, and I want to try to challenge you with this this morning in a very simple way. And we could honestly probably all walk away, and, and, and most of what I could say this morning, you already know. But I want to try to challenge you with it really quickly. So let's get into this first place. You know, God, a man that could stand before God, a man that could stand before Jehovah, when it's all said and done, an eternity past, an eternity future, and at this very moment, right now, this morning, standing, sitting in this building, the most important thing is God. God. His glory, His will, His purpose, His word, His majesty, it's all about God. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about grandkids. It's not about the car. It's not about the farm. It's not about the job. It's not about politics. It's not about a country. It's not about the dollar. It's not about the economy. It's not about a, a specific church. It's not about any, it's about God. That is the main thing. There is no greater purpose for mankind in creation itself than to glorify God. All we are to do, all we are to say, everywhere we're to go, everything we're to accomplish, it should be and it should flow out of a love for God and a desire to glorify and honor God. I think one of the ones that says it the best in the scriptures is David in First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 10 and 20, uh, 10 through 13. And he, the whole passage is huge and it's an amazing passage. And it's where David is praying over Israel and specifically praying over Solomon. And he's about to step away and let Solomon take over. And he says this, and I wish I could read the whole passage. I'm just going to read verse 10 and on it says wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation and David said blessed be thou Lord God of Israel our father forever and ever thine O Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine thine is the kingdom O Lord and thou art exalted as head above all both riches and honor come of thee and thou reignest over all and in thine hand is power and might and in thine hand is to make great and to give strength unto all now therefore our God we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. It makes me think of Nebuchadnezzar. 
He said some very similar words to this after he was humbled and after he, he came back and he realized and recognized it was all about God and only about God. David goes on in the Psalms. You know, there's so many passages in Psalms we could read. And if you know your Bible, you kind of have some, maybe some of them popping up in your head. You know, Psalms 115.1 says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. For thy mercy and for the truth's sake. You know, we could go to so many passages in the New Testament, but you know, I think one of the most basic and simple, but it, it's meant to be basic and simple because it's from the most basic and up, whether we drink or eat or anything else we do. You know, what's more basic than drinking a cup of water and eating something every day? The only thing you could add to that is sleeping. Whether you drink and eat and sleep, and anything else you do from there on up, may it be for the glory of God. Now, we're here to talk about missions this week, about reaching our world, about preaching the gospel, the good news. But I want you to remember that the main motivation, the main reason to even consider missions is God. It's his glory. It's his purpose. And before we could even consider giving to missions, praying for missions, going in missions, reaching our neighbor across the street, which is missions too, before we can do any of that, we have to be very clear who God is. And that's a whole other subject, and I wish we had time to get into it, but let me just ask you, do you know him? Do you know him today as a savior? Do you know him as a friend? Do you know him as Lord? Do you know him personally? Do you know him intimately? Do you know him closely? You know, if you don't know Christ, then today is the day of salvation, Scripture says. And I wish today you would turn to Christ and you would recognize your sin and your need of Christ, the only sufficient Savior. And I hope today you'd be saved. And as I look across, I don't know all of you, and there's new people here that I don't know, and there's young people here that maybe haven't made a decision, but I don't know your heart. But if you're not saved today, I hope you are. I hope you'll make a decision for Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. But for the many of us that have made a decision, I got saved the 11th of May, 1987. I can take you to the spot in my mom's bedroom and I can put an X on the floor where I knelt that night and I asked my mom about 12.30 at night and I said, Mom, I got to get this straight and I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. It was a personal moment in my life when I surrendered myself over to Jesus Christ depending on him and his righteousness understanding that I was a filthy sinner and I was condemned for the rest of eternity if I didn't depend on Christ. That's when it happened for me. When did it happen for you? Well, many of you got a testimony similar to that and you can say, this is the day that I got saved. Well, it doesn't stop there. It's not just knowing him as a savior. It's getting to know him as a true friend. It's getting to know his word. It's getting to walk in the spirit. It's getting to, to talk to the Lord specifically day by day. It's getting to know what he wants. You know, I, I love the book of Job for many reasons, but one of the verses out of Job that I think I quote probably more than any other is Job chapter 42, verse 5. You know, he says after everything's said and done, after God's kind of rebuked him, it's all come down, the conclusion, he's repented, uh, he's understood that God is sovereign in every way, and, and, and he says this, among the confession he gives, he says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But then what does he say? He says, but, nigh, but now my eye hath seen you. What, what is he saying? I knew you, but now I know you better. You know, do, can, can, the storms in life <laughs> that bend the palm tree, the difficulties, the good and the bad, the times that we are surrounded with people and the times that we're right alone, the poor times and the rich times, you know, the times of pain, the times of joy, the times when the church is full and the times we're in church and it seems like nobody else seems to care or want to come. You know, every day, every day, may, may it be a day, may it be a time, may they be events that grow us in the Lord and bring us closer to him. You know, you can say, I've been in Christ for 20 years. 
have you grown in Christ for 20 years? I was preaching on something similar to this at the church a few months ago, and I came across a statement. I don't you remember who said it? It was an older author, and he says, you can have 20 years of experience, or you can live in experience for 20 years. And what he was getting to is some people live 20 years, and they never get out of the same experience. They always just kind of sit learning the same lesson. And it's just a continual lesson because they never learn it. They never get out of it. I want to know the Lord better. I want to know his word better. I want to walk in the spirit better than I did yesterday. I want to be more obedient today than I was yesterday. I want to be soul conscious today more than I was yesterday. I want to memorize and meditate upon scripture better than I did yesterday because Lord knows I need it. I want to learn how to pray better than I did yesterday. It's all part of growing. It's all part about knowing God. And, and, and that is the motivation to anything we do. When we talk about the two things that really matter, the first one is definitely, beyond any shadow of a doubt, it's God. We should really finish this first part and go into our second just by, by saying this. Can you stand before God? That's something that only you can answer. Can you stand in the righteousness of Christ before God and say, first place, I know I'm saved? Secondly, can you stand before God today with an open relationship, with a clean conscience, with a heart ready and open to serve and to do for others? Because I tell you what, if our heart isn't right with God, it will be of no use to anyone else. If our mouth and our life and our home and our finances is not surrendered to the Lord then it will be of no use to anyone else. We cannot go on to talk about people unless we have clearly in our mind said, God is first place. So God matters above all else. But we could go on to a second thing. And you know, and you might be able to say, well, there's other things that matter. You know, my Bible matters. Why well, put that under God? It's God's word. You know, church matters. Why well, put that under God? And others, obviously, too. But it, it, it's, it's God's house. It's where God wants me to be. So there's other things that you can catalog under that God, but I think it all comes back to my relationship with God. And when it comes to people, you could say, well, you can talk about people, Brother Matt, and missions. Well, I think my family's first. Well, I believe there's a priority to that, and we'll mention it in a second. But whether it be my wife or whether it be a foreigner across the country, it is still people. God matters. People matter. A man who could stand before God and a man who would stand for the land. For the people. Next to God, there's really only thing that matters. There's really only one thing that's going to stand eternity. There's only really one thing we can take out of this world. And that is souls. People. Men, women, boys, girls, friends and foes, family and strangers. All people. Any people. People matter. Why do people matter? Let me give you four quick thoughts on this. Why do people matter? First place, people matter because they matter to God. And what matters to God should matter to us if God's first place in our life, right? If we love him, then we'll love what he loves. People should matter because they matter to God. Brother Sinclair, some of you might have read his book, especially if you're anything related at all with missions and so forth. He's wrote a book called Missionary Partnership. If you've never read it, I suggest don't agree with everything he says, but it's a wonderful author and wonderful book on missions. And he's saying some stuff that needs to be said nowadays. But one of the things he says uh, in his book, or he reminds us of, he, he, he speaks of God being a missionary God. And he says God is a missionary God. Then he says, Jesus, the Son, is a missionary son. Then he says, the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. 
And he goes on, and we'll talk about this in a second, but you know, God is a missionary God, folks. God has always loved mankind. God has always loved the lost. When Adam and Eve stepped away, knowing exactly what had happened, he went after Adam. He came down to them, knowing exactly what had happened. He has loved mankind in our lost condition from the very beginning, and we could even say before the beginning, because Ephesians chapter 1 says, before the foundations of the world. He already knew, and it was in his purpose. He knew what was going to happen with us. He knew how lost and condemned we were going to be. He knew how rebellious mankind would be. And he loved us anyway. And he destined his son to go and, and die on the cross anyway. God is a missionary God. Jesus, his son, is a missionary son. And if there's ever anybody in all the scriptures and history that would fulfill the definition of what a missionary is, a sent one, it would be Jesus. In fact, today, what every missionary yearns to do is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ to be like him, to reach, to love others, to speak to them of love, to show them and love them to God. Jesus is definitely a missionary son. The Holy Spirit's a missionary spirit. There's so many verses we could go with this, but Acts 1.8 is probably one of the most classic. You shall receive power when? After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses. The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin, of justice and judgment. What does the Holy Spirit do? What's his role? What's his main purpose here? It is to convict sinners, to bring them to God. The Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. And that's a thought that we don't think about too very much. And, and, and we don't meditate upon it enough. But I think it's worth chewing on a little bit and doing a study on the Holy Spirit and his role in missions. In his book, Brother Sinclair quotes Stephen Siemens, who gave a wonderful summary to this about the triune God in missions. He said this, God, therefore, is a very essence, a missionary God. The Father is the first missionary who goes out himself, creating the world and sending the Son. The Son is the second missionary who redeems humanity and all creation. The Holy Spirit is the third missionary who creates and empowers the church to go out into the world and reach them. God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are definitely missionary-minded. God's purpose is a missionary purpose. I don't remember if um, Dan and Heidi and uh, Naomi remember, but I remember twice, I think, an ambassador in the days that we were there for Daryl Chaplin to come in. If you ever read anything that he ever said or you ever saw any videos or audios, you know, it was worth, uh, worth spending time into. An amazing missionary, a veteran that got to do and see things that few missionaries seem like they got, especially in our day and age. I know he's, he's passed and he's a generation before, but still a man that even in that generation got to do and see things that it seems like few did. But he wrote a, a phrase on the purpose of God, and he says this, the eternal purpose of God is to call out from every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, a multitude redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, over whom he will crown his son, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, King of kings and Lord of lords forever. This is the passion of the heart of God that cannot be quenched, the obsession of his mind that cannot be denied, the vision of his eyes from eternity past into eternity future that will not dim, and the destination to which he has committed his omnipotent, immutable, and eternal being, a destination that he will not abandon. The purpose of God is to save the lost. It is to have a relationship with mankind and to redeem them by the blood of his Son. That's the purpose. God's book is a missionary book. Every book within the Bible points to missions. And you might say, no, that's not true. No, every book of the Bible points to God's love for a world, for all nations, for all people. 
It's his heartbeat and it's his focus and it's clearly registered in every single book of the 66 within the Bible. God's church is a missionary church. And it just stands to reason, isn't it? If God's a missionary God, Jesus is a missionary son, spirit is a missionary spirit, his purpose is a missionary purpose, and his book is a missionary book, well, wouldn't it stand to reason that his church is a missionary church? Amen? You still with me today? Yeah? Amen? Is it true? Are we? You know, one of the passages, go with me to Revelation real quick. I have this here in my notes, but it comes to my mind thinking about the spirit in the church. And I've used this passage in different moments, you know, when we're teaching and preaching through this back home. Uh, but, you know, whenever we get a chance and, and we, we talk about the church's responsibility, this is one of those passages that is convicting to me when it comes to the church, whether it be the local church, if you want to look on a broader scope uh, as a whole. But the scripture says in, in uh, Revelation chapter 22, look at verse 17. And you got the conclusion of the book of, of Revelation here, and it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And him and whosoever will, let him take the water freely. You know, th- th- this is an invitation to those that are lost to come and drink of the water of Jesus Christ. And it is the Holy Spirit that is saying, Come. And who else? The bride. Well, the Holy Spirit is faithful to his job. He doesn't fail. He is consistent. The Holy Spirit is faithful to his responsibility of calling and claiming, saying, come, is the church. The Spirit and the bride. Are we truly inviting others to Christ? Are we a missionary church? We should be. God's church is a missionary church by design. Missions by some is called a program, but I don't believe it's a program. I believe it is the program. Missions is not just a ministry of the local church. I believe it is the ministry of the local church. Now, some of you are thinking, hold on a second, you're saying we should all go. You're thinking international missions. Folk, bring it down to a point. We're talking about people. And I believe with all my heart that missions is just as important across the street or across town as it is across the world. Missions is reaching people. So, so, so let's take out of our head a little bit the Daryl Chaplins and the William Careys and saying, well, we can't all be that. Obviously, we can't be all that. But the heartbeat of the church is to reach people wherever we are at. That is by design what God made his church to be. So people matter because they matter to God. Secondly, people matter because, or the second truth about people, sorry, all people matter. All people matter. It's God's desire for all nations to know him, for all people to come to him to glorify his name. In in the Bible, 54 times it uses the word all nations. 31 times it uses the word all people. Seven times it uses the word all the ends of the earth. In Psalms 22, 27, it says all the ends of the world. George Peters wrote about Psalms and he said that in the book of Psalms, 175 times the book of Psalms talks about a universe universe aspect of people to where all nations, all people, all nations should know or hear of the glory of God. So many times we look at the Old Testament, we say it's about the Jews and God was focused on the Jews and only the Jews. No, God loves people. And all throughout scripture, yes, he had his chosen people, but he impacted and he loved and he wanted his name to be known. The church is to be called a house of prayer. For who? For the Jews. For all nations. For all people. God, from the very beginning, was focused on all people. First truth, people matter because they matter to God. Second truth, people matter. Uh, all, all people matter. Every person, Mark, and many other places talk about every creature. 
In Revelation chapter 5, verse 13, it says, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I say, and blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and upon the Lamb for, and unto the Lamb forevermore. You go a little bit further ahead, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, and on, and this I behold, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with right robes and psalms and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And you could go to so many more passages. We talked about David earlier. You go to First Chronicles again and back up to chapter 16. And you're going to see another time when the temple was, it wasn't the temple yet. It was a tent. And when they brought the, t- the ark into the tent, he again praised and worshiped God. And you can go there, verse 24 through verse 36. I'm not going to do it because of time of the day. But you can go and you can see how many times he mentions all nations, all people. And the glory of God should be known and should be, uh, God should be worshiped by all people. The aspect of it, all nations, all people groups, all 223 nations and territories, all languages, all tribes, all enemies, all despised, all the hungry, all the illegals, all the dirty, all the undesirable, all the contrary, all the ones from the other political party, all the people that I don't want to rub shoulders with, everyone needs to matter in my eyes. Everyone needs to have value in my eyes. People matter because they matter to God. The second truth is all people matter. There is no one that we can say they do not matter. You know, when we talk about all people, I really wish we could park on this a little bit. I don't got time to, but have you ever gone through the book of Acts and realized that the apostles reached their world? If you go through the book of Acts, when Jesus told them to reach into the ends, of the earth. For them, they did it. When you study out the book of Acts, they reached their world. They accomplished it. And yet, from church history, we almost have to say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there has never been a generation from then to now that can truly say we have reached our whole world. We still have over 70 countries today that we're struggling to find any kind of Baptist presence in. We got a supporting church in Maryland that's trying to support a pastor or a missionary or a local worker of some kind in every country of the world. They still have over 40 they're looking for. And that's that they have really stretched their imagination into printing ministries, into newspaper ministries, into track ministries, into, because they're saying, we got to find, and looking at places, they're saying, hey, a jail ministry, an outreach ministry through email, something, somebody that's putting their finger in this country. Even if they don't look exactly like us, but we want to have an imprint on every nation of the world. And they're struggling. And yet the Jehovah Witness back in 2012 lauded that they had put a Jehovah Witness temple in every single nation and island and territory of the world. And they started about 1900. It's a shame. It is. All people matter. Sometimes we forget because we don't see them. Third truth about people is that people should matter from close to far away. I only got a minute or two to say this, but folks, our relationships with people start at home. When I say that all people matter, it should start with husband and wife. It should start with our kids. It should start with our church. It should start with our community. What I'm saying is you can't say, oh, one day I'll reach the people in the Amazons if I don't reach people in Wayland. 
You will never be able to say, I will pray for people and bring them to Christ and sacrifice for them to know truth if you want prayer sitting here in your local church. The relationships start here and ripples start from where you are at. And the ripples might get all the way to the end of the pond, praise God, and they need to go all the way because all people matter. But it starts here. Relationships start here. We will never be able to impact a world if we are not relationship conscious, if we are not people conscious here at our place. There's an order to relationships, an order of priorities. But we must, we must focus on people. And that starts from here on out. And there's a fourth truth uh, about people, and that's if people matter, then they should be loved. Because we love what matters to us, right? What do you love? And you might say, oh, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, just pull out your checkbook. Write down the hours you spend every week. Who do you spend the most time with? What do you spend the most time doing? It's really not that hard. We spend time doing what we love to do. We invest money on what we love. We sacrifice for the things that we love. That's where our treasure is. And that's what we love. No investment is too great if it matters enough. No investment is too great if it matters enough. If people matter, then we will love. And true biblical love is sacrifice. It's giving time, money, effort, energy, kids, grandkids, car, job, health, hardships. Whatever the price might be, if it matters enough, the price is worth it. People, people matter. I'm done with all of it. I gotta say, God, help me to love you. And because of loving you, how can I not love people? You know, there's some statements that we could get into. And if we go to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, we see Isaiah, he saw God, number one. He saw himself as a sinner. And after he was cleansed, he had a heart for people. Here am I. Y'all just saying this a while ago, some of you remember. Here am I, send me. And that here am I, send me can ring really hollow if there's not a true love for God. And if we don't see him genuinely. Do we see him? Do we know him? Is he number one? And if he is, people will automatically, by nature, be loved. You can't love people unless you love God first. And you can't truly say you love God unless you love what he loves. I believe that. And I know that sounds kind of dogmatic. And you can say, well, Matt, that's, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty blunt. I believe it with all my heart. We can say all we want we love God. But if we don't love the things of God and the things that God loves, then we're really not either understanding God or we really truly don't love him. You see a cardinal fan? Typically, who does kids become fans of? The Cubs? Yeah? No. You see a hunting man? What does kids usually like to do? You see a fishing man? What does kids usually like to do? You see a Ford guy or a Chevy guy? I don't know who would want to be a Chevy guy, but a Chevy guy. I know where I'm at. You see a Dodge guy. You see a Nissan guy. You say, hey, what do his kids usually like to drive? You, you, you follow where I'm going with this, right? 
what we invest in love and look and admire and make great, usually those behind us will love and admire and make great also. If I love God and if I love people, not only is this going to be something that will impact me, but this will be multiplied in those behind me. And may God help us to reach a generation that we live in, and may God help us to reach a generation that's coming after us.